If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome everyone to a new episode of uh, Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaohm. I'm Enrico Signoretti, and today we will talk about cloud, cloud storage, and how enterprises move their data across different clouds and uh, in hybrid environments. To help me with uh, this topic, I invited Matt Wallace from uh, Faction. He's the CTO of Faction. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Enrico. Thank you for the invite. So uh, maybe uh, usually I ask my, my guests uh, for a little bit of introduction uh, about themselves and the company. So maybe we can start w- with this. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so like you said, I'm Matt Wallace. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Faction. Um, Faction is Denver-based in the United States. We've been in business now for uh, 10 years and change. Uh, we've been spent a lot of that time doing uh, private cloud environments. But uh, we cut our teeth in the early days doing really interesting things with data center networking that led to us having a portfolio of patents and uh, intellectual property and doing some really complex networking. And in the past few years, we've applied this to building out what we refer to as a multi-cloud platform as a service. So we're starting to do things where we take things like disaster recovery use cases and data storage use cases, and we apply our networking technology to kind of turn those into multi-cloud products. Um, I myself have been 25 years now in technology, companies uh, like VMware, Level 3, Exodus, uh, doing a lot of uh, deep engineering work and now product work. That's really cool. And uh, uh, just a little thing. I mean, lately, every time I talk about storage, it's uh, it's about networking. I mean, uh, uh, we are entering in, in a phase of the storage where networking is, uh, yeah, it has been, you know, uh, an important part of storage for a long time. But actually now how you move data, uh, it's becoming really, really important to, to everybody. So back to our story uh, today. Um, I, I wanted to uh, start this conversation by talking a little bit about how storage works in large uh, uh, cloud providers. Okay, so everything in the cloud is shiny; it's uh, wonderful, etc. But uh, I think there are a few issues if you come from a traditional environment. I mean, if you build something new and you architect it for the cloud. Everything look, looks great. I mean, uh, object storage, you have uh, block storage. Uh, most of the block storage is a little bit different um, if we think about you know, the enterprise storage array, but you have a lot of tools to work around it. And then you have uh, file storage lately. It came later in, in, in the game. Okay, Not always done properly, in, uh, in my opinion. I mean... Uh, for some vendors, looks like a little bit uh, of, a, of an afterthought. I, I, I don't know. What's your opinion about cloud storage? You know, when you think about the cloud computing, uh, cloud native applications, and the, the interaction be- between cloud native application and legacy applications. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it actually just reminds me too of kind of my first experiences with AWS and. 
20, 2007, I almost said 2017, but uh, it's been a long time when, you know, the instances that you turned up back then, they didn't have any option for persistent disks because that was before EBS volumes even existed. So kind of to your point, cloud native originally meant essentially dependent on object storage. So, you know, those days you would boot off an image that was stored in S3 out of object storage. You would have to retrieve your data from there and you needed to really build an architecture around that. Of course, nowadays, um, you know, you can go, you can get block storage in the form of like an EBS volume. You can get file storage from something like an EFS and you can blend that with object storage, obviously still. And we're seeing every single cloud provider, you know, offer those sorts of options. Uh, I think what we're really wrestling with now, though, is everybody wants to be able to take every application and deal with it from both the perspective of how do I do this in the first cloud I was in? How do I do it in other clouds? Because my team wants to use every cloud for different reasons, right? Larger enterprises, they're in every cloud today. How do I do that on-prem? Because I want to have a model going forward where I have a consistent operational model between what I do kind of cloud native in a public cloud and what I do on-prem. And I think that's only getting more important, obviously, with use cases like edge computing with 5G coming out, with products like Outpost and Azure Stack that are kind of bringing some of the cloud operating models on-prem. People are definitely asking, like, how do I have this consistent model? And historically speaking, it's been tough to do a couple of those things. It's been tough to do file in a clean way, especially if you wanted to use more than one protocol, um, like NFS and SIFS with the same data set. And it's certainly been difficult to solve the multi-cloud challenge and really you know, answer the question of how do I have this same data without having to make copies of it on-prem and in each cloud all at the same time. So those have been tricky to solve. Yeah. So from, from uh, um, on one side, we have uh, these uh, uh, enterprises wanting to go to the cloud, but actually they don't want to build, again, silos. I mean, they experienced the data center silos in the past, and they are afraid a little bit to... Uh, recreate uh, cloud silos now. So full stacks and application that can move from a, a stack to the to the other one. Okay, and this is probably, uh, in other words, the same thing that you you, you explained. And uh, on the other side, building this uh, uh, this uh, foundation, storage foundation that is the same somehow between. Uh, the cloud, the clouds, and on-premises, it's very, very difficult. I mean, there are several challenges, okay? There is latency, bandwidth, uh, there is different products. And another thing is that you don't have your array on the cloud usually. Yeah, it's true. In fact, I think one of the things that we've really been tackling is you know, there's things like Outpost and Azure Stack where they're trying to take that cloud operating model, cloud native applications, and the cloud providers want to kind of penetrate on-prem, give you hardware on-prem that runs like the cloud hardware. But, you know, the enterprises that we interact with, they've got significant investments in their platforms. You know, it might be Dell EMC, it might be NetApp, but they're, they've spent a lot of time and energy building applications that leverage those stacks. And so we're helping to extend that same model and those same platforms up into the cloud for cases like DR, for cases like analytics. Um, and you know that's where we've come into play because we don't make hardware, um, you know, har uh, storage hardware, but we are interested in taking the kind of platforms that people have already invested in and enabling them to easily connect them to multiple clouds. So like a good example being, you know, we have one customer that has three and a half petabytes of um, 
investment on Isilon on-prem. And they replicate that Isilon footprint to us because first they want a second copy because they, they just want the resiliency of having an offsite, you know, copy that is not, you know, subject to like data center failure, et cetera. So from a DR perspective, that second copy helps them with, you know, assurance, IT resilience. But then once it's there, we're able to actually connect that data into all of the public clouds. So now they have that same data set that works in the same way that it works in their on-premises environments. And because it's tied into all the clouds, they can leverage the tool sets from those clouds to do things with that data. And it's a neat data set where actually having access to each of those platform services, is it actually matters to this uh, client. So let me understand better. So you, you provide uh, uh, this uh, networking layer and the, uh, the customer can have the same identical platform they have on-premises on, uh, um, on your cloud, on your data center. Okay, so no matter if it's uh, an Isilon or an Etap you mentioned, so potentially everything, okay, you manage the stuff for them and actually you provide the connectivity to the, to the other cloud provider, right? Did I got it right? Yeah, so that's true. And it's it's important to think about this too, because we're not just trying to kind of manage customer equipment. Because the other thing that we find is that folks who are kind of pursuing their cloud strategy, they tend to do it because they've got good reasons for going cloud native in the first place. You know, they want to reduce the number of people, they want to simplify their environments, manage less data centers, manage less uh, heterogeneous environments. And so they're actually looking to kind of offload the work of maintaining infrastructure. So they can keep their teams focused on how they bring the business value through their IT efforts. So we're actually doing this as a cloud service. So even though it is Isilon under the hood or NetApp under the hood or Dell EMC, Unity XT under the hood, regardless of what those you know platforms are, we're applying this kind of uniform layer. We're running it as a service. We're providing this uniform layer from a network standpoint to plug it in, um, operating all that and then removing all the complexity of the cloud. So for example, you know, when it came time to take that Isilon storage and connect it to AWS, all they have to do is go into their Amazon console and accept our virtual interface request. And that's it. Their VPC is talking to the storage. Nothing to buy, nothing to configure. They don't need a network engineer to understand that. They don't need to worry about IP overlap. We just kind of take care of that. Wow. But, but on the other end, we have uh, uh, vendors that now provide uh, virtual appliance of, of their um arrays or they're nice. So uh, do, do you provide both of them? Does it make any sense in your model? Or, you know, is it more something that is for the public, for the other public cloud, I mean? Right. So we have had some limited um, involvement with helping folks with appliances, and they tend to be in the kind of POC or, um, you know, just evaluation phases. Um and I think that's because, you know, most of the people, if they're satisfied with what an appliance does, they're perfectly happy to go and just do that themselves, right? That's a marketplace thing. They could just go to the cloud provider, their choice, choose the appliance they want and deploy it. And yeah, some of those people may get a little bit of value out of having someone administer that kind of virtual hardware platform for them, but it's not as big of an uplift as the physical side. If you want to do a, a real array that's connected, that's physical, that has all the attributes of a real system, now you need 
a colo contract. You've got to put it into co-location because you want it to be in a facility that's really low latency, that's very, very toast, uh, tightly connected to the cloud. You need network engineering expertise to understand how to stand up and maintain that network. Of course, you need storage administration still, but you have to layer on a lot of these other things. So doing that kind of cloud adjacent model adds a lot of complexity. But there's some really big advantages, obviously, as well, because if you use an appliance like you mentioned that's in the cloud, there's a bunch of limitations that may not apply to the physical. In a lot of cases, our platform that's based on real hardware can scale up as high as the hardware can. The virtual appliances are often limited. The virtual appliances, of course, are totally dependent on the cloud provider's hardware. So between clouds, you're going to get different performance, different scaling limits, and that sort of thing. And of course... You know, finally, there's this fact that if you use a virtual appliance in a cloud, you are sticking your data and getting it stuck in that one cloud. And to your point, that lock-in, that portability is a matterful thing. It's significant for customers, especially if they know that they're going to need or expect they might need in the future access to that data from multiple clouds. Because now they need to store two or three copies, whereas our service inherently can do that multi-cloud connectivity. So there's one copy that sits in between the clouds, like a hub and spoke model, where our data platform service is that hub. There's spokes to each cloud, and that means if you read it, you can read the same copy from all of them. And if you're writing to it, you can write from one and then immediately read it from the other, which is pretty cool and actually opens up a whole set of use cases that you can't do if you're stuck inside a single cloud. No, I, in, a, in a certain way, you are a, a sort of a gateway between the the public cloud and the on-premises. I mean, you enable your customers to, to bring uh, their data to the cloud and maintain the same identical environment. So they maintain the same uh, level of access, performance, and uh, any other characteristic of their array. What, what, what I'm curious about is, so do you also provide uh, some disaster recovery services? Because, you know, I, I think that the next step is to go a little bit further and provide uh, uh, also the, the hardware and probably the VMware environment to do that. Sure. Yeah, I think actually one of the reasons we've seen significant adoption is because it's not enough just to say, oh, I have the storage that you can connect to multiple clouds because enterprises, frankly, are still in that transition period on the way, you know, in that cloud journey, figuring out how they're going to use all these services. But DR is a problem everybody wrestles with. And either they, they we find they don't have a plan in which case they realize they really need to have a DR plan and it's something they've been looking to try to do in an economical way. Or they have a DR plan, but it involves another data center and they frankly just don't want to carry a whole data center footprint just to deal with DR because it's a very expensive, very operationally intense way to kind of handle that. So where we've done a lot is by helping people do disaster recovery where we can replicate their data into our platform use VMware Cloud and AWS as a recovery environment. So there's this kind of turnkey on-demand environment where we can turn up really large compute workloads. But then since we have the data all the time, doing things to make that data available. So the three and a half petabytes I mentioned before, that big data footprint um, is great for that customer because they've got it connected to multiple clouds. But the, the tent pole or the kind of the thing that really got them um, through the door in the first place was the fact that from a budget perspective, they actually also have another couple hundred terabytes of virtual machines. And we were able to provide a DR home that would land that virtual machine workload 
it can do a recovery in a VMware cloud and AWS, and it can have the same access during a DR to that same data footprint. So now they're really killing two birds or three birds with one stone by having that same data footprint serve the DR use case as well as the analytics use case across multiple clouds. And so we find that that you know, kill two birds with one stone approach is really what helps this to become really easy to adopt for folks because they're immediately ha- solving their DR challenge, but then they're also making that data available for their sort of future exploration with public cloud services. Yeah, and what is the profile of your customer, you, the, your usual customer? Well, it's an interesting question. I think, um, you know, historically, we've done a lot of business with folks um, who were kind of small and medium businesses because we worked through a lot of channel partners and system integrators, value-added resellers that would go out and use our platform to essentially solve these problems for their end customers. So we were a sort of cloud provider to cloud providers, if you will, uh, which is kind of how we got to be a very, very large you know, cloud verified, one of the largest VMware service providers in the country, uh, in the United States. But since we've kind of rolled out this multi-cloud storage platform and our disaster recovery services, uh, we've been doing a lot of selling directly to end users with partners. And we've found that our customer profile has really shifted much more towards large enterprise because we are solving these challenges that large enterprises are most aware of. They wrestle most with, they're aware of all the kind of inefficiencies if they do this themselves they usually have a fairly well-formulated cloud strategy, but they're kind of wrestling with the multi-cloud aspect. Sometimes they're really wrestling with DR. Um, For our typical customer now, we have found that they did DR themselves, essentially, and they're looking to leverage the cloud. And so we actually are finding that our typical disaster recovery customer is much larger than what you used to see in the disaster recovery as a service market, because we have large enterprises that are looking to VMware Cloud and AWS as a recovery environment. Now, something that instead of kind of being stuck at the more mom and pop level of um, private cloud provider, they actually can um, recover into you know essentially public cloud scale leveraging our services backed by VMware Cloud and AWS. So lately, it's been much more uh, Fortune 500 and other large enterprises that we've seen traction with. Uh, this is very interesting for, for two reasons. One, you mentioned that uh, you know you, you have as customer other providers, and uh, I don't know uh, in the US, but actually in Europe uh, there are more and more. Uh, you know, resellers or uh, that are becoming more um, MSPs somehow, so managed service providers, and they act as a broker. So they, they fund a solution on the cloud and they sell them and adding uh, some value on top of it. Okay. So I, I thought at the beginning you, you were referring to this kind of cloud providers. Okay. Um, and uh, and then, but, but, but I agree. I mean, I mean, uh, Looking at what you're saying, in fact, the, uh, it sounds uh, that, that this kind of service is very, very good for large enterprises. You mentioned that you are growing in the U.S., but actually, what about uh, Europe? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Actually, um, we expanded last year into London. It was our first international location, um, driven partially by those large enterprises. So. We had a Fortune 500 financial firm, for example, who first engaged with us about DR here in the United States. They wanted to replicate that same model. So we opened up in London. We also had uh, another one of our actually 
largest traditional customers, those um, when we were doing these service provider to service providers, they have tens of thousands of end customers that they service on top of our platform. They also wanted to expand into Europe. Um, and because we have something really unique that we do with VMware Cloud and AWS, um, where we're actually the only way to add additional external storage into a VMC environment, um, we also are opening up in Frankfurt now as well, plenty of demand in Europe. And we're also, I mean, additionally looking at some locations in the Asia Pacific region. So it's definitely been, this whole strategy has definitely been driving some international expansion for us. That's great. But but still, they are U.S. organization wanting you to go there. Do, do you think you will... Uh... Uh, you will have some traction also from uh, uh, European uh, companies uh, um, to, do the, uh, to, to take advantage of the same model. Yeah, I think so. We definitely have fielded quite a few inquiries, um, especially in advance of opening up this Frankfurt location uh, from other European um, organizations that are really interested in kind of adopting the same model. And what's the other funny thing is we've actually had some U.S. customers who even though they are U.S. headquartered and U.S. based, they're actually adopting us first overseas. Um, so like our first Frankfurt customer, for example, is a United States enterprise, but they're not actually yet a customer of ours here in the U U.S., but they want to leverage our services in Frankfurt as part of their uh, digital transformation. So I thought that was really interesting. No, yes, uh, indeed. Also also because this uh, this is a different model. So for them, is so they can avoid to... To open a data center there, uh, at the same time uh, taking a, a platform that they know so as a service, so they limit the initial investment, and they have a uh, you know some somebody that they can trust uh, uh, overseas. Yep, you got it absolutely, um, and obviously you know we're. We've been investing for a long time in this platform. We've got a lot of experience there. And so, um, you know, just knowing that somebody's been operating successfully elsewhere and there's sort of not an equivalent uh, makes it kind of an easy decision, obviously, to go with somebody who has some experience operating a service like this. I have, a qu I have another question then. So in, uh, in this case, okay, by, by taking advantage of your services, consolidating somehow your data in a, in a single location and uh, and using it uh, as a you know large repository that can be accessed by multiple clouds you somehow solve this data gravity problem and you and you have all your data accessible from all the cloud at a decent latency latency yeah there's really two kinds of data gravity considerations that i think we're solving one is the, the question of the on-premises data versus the cloud data. So we have a lot of enterprise customers that have collected significant data sets on-prem, and their on-premise applications work just fine um, with those. But if they want to use those in cloud-native applications, they wrestle with this question of how do I move data to the cloud? How do I move it back? How do I keep them in sync? And in a lot of cases, you know, by leveraging our multi-cloud platform, they're able to use this, the actual storage array technology to stitch those together. So if they have, for example, like we talked about Isilon, if you have Isilon on-prem versus Isilon in the cloud, you, you, know, you can actually move data back and forth pretty easily. But the other thing, of course, is, and this is even more significant as you go, not just from how do I get on-prem working with the cloud, but how do I get on-prem working with multiple clouds? Now, if you have applications that are running in Amazon and Azure and Google, 
and you're trying to worry about data synchronization, you know, there's a, a certain amount of messiness involved with that. How do I get data out of one into the other? How do I worry about, well, if this application from this cloud wrote to that, and then I read it from a different cloud, how is that going to work? And I think what we solve for is being that, you know, the hub in the middle where you can write data and the moment it's written, you can read it out. We actually went to uh, Dell Technologies World earlier this year, and we actually showed this demo kind of live where we actually had instances from Azure and instances from Amazon connecting to the same storage. And one was writing and the other was immediately reading the data that was being written. And because these are all like very low latency in the metro area connections, it's almost like our storage platform helps you turn um, Amazon and Azure into two different data centers you have that are across the street from each other, where you get to kind of interconnect them in a way that makes sense for your enterprise. And that's something that historically wasn't possible with public cloud. And it really unlocks the sort of things you can do with all the cloud native services once you have that really low latency um, storage that kind of links the two together. Yeah. Uh, from this point of view, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, uh, having this kind of platform, uh, so having this kind of platform that uh, helps you to consolidate the data, but actually move data around between the uh, two applications, two different clouds, solves a lot of problems that are, are difficult to solve today with other technologies. Yeah, it also obviously helps you normalize to a certain extent the way that you deal with things. And this is sort of dependent on which cloud service you're getting. But like some of our clients that are leveraging Isilon, they like it because not only can they you access the data from multiple clouds, but they can access it, with, access it with multiple protocols. So one client can be reading and writing NFS. Another Windows client can be reading and writing SIFS traffic. And those can be spread across multiple clouds. And it's all just one workflow. And it's all consistent data that doesn't require some extra technology for syncing. And of course, it doesn't require you to store two copies and pay for two copies. So and, and what uh, uh, can you share uh, with us about the future of Faction? Yeah, there's a few things we're continuing to work on here. Uh, I think we're working on taking the same technology that we developed with this DR to the public cloud, which we call hybrid disaster recovery as a service, and trying to broaden the availability so it works for everyone. You know, I kind of mentioned that our adoption so far was from large enterprises. And part of that is because it's a very cost-effective way of doing disaster recovery, really kind of best of breed um, in terms of what you get for the dollar. But there is sort of a high minimum footprint, right? It's not a small and medium business type of product. We've been evolving this so that we can actually do the same things, provide those same advantages um, to enterprises of every size. So that's the thing that we're really looking to do. I think the other thing, of course, is, and this is where things start to get really fun. We're, we're working on transformative data services. Um, so you, you start off with this idea of, hey, I've got block storage, I've got file storage, I can plug that into the, to multiple clouds. That's just faction strike zone. What we want to do is we want to be able to add value on top of that storage. In other words, you've already got it there. What else can I do with it? I'll give you an example. So we have uh, customers that are choosing to replicate file volumes to us for resiliency that happen to have VMware data on some of those. We have a tool that's built into our portal that will index virtual machines that are being replicated and give you access through our portal to export a specific virtual machine and automatically migrate that into a cloud provider. So now we have this you know, high speed, low latency pipe into the public clouds. You can take a copy of a virtual machine that you have off of our sort of replicated index and just choose your 
uh, where you want to move it and we'll drop it right into your Amazon account for you. So it turns into an Amazon machine image that you can turn up and you can batch those together. So now it gives your team like an easy workflow essentially for doing a, a test dev creation or a, a cloud migration. Things like that become possible just in the portal. And we have a lot of ambition to kind of extend those data services to just let you do more with the data in terms of um, transformation. That could be things like uh, uh, ETLs on uh, large data sets that you have, or it could be migrations. It could be things like security checks. So we could be monitoring the data that you're replicating for uh, things like virus infections, stuff like that. So that, that's, I think, an ambition we have. That, that, that uh, sounds uh, really cool. I mean, uh, um, giving uh, services on top of the you know, data that you replicate anyway. So it's, uh, it's fantastic because sometimes it's very expensive to implement this kind of services at home. And also, if you are collecting data from several on-premises locations from, from your customers, you, you, you become a sort of consolidation point before going to the cloud. So uh, uh, from this point of view, you, you have a, a better access to more data, I mean. Yeah. And I think in the long run, our ambition here is to really make this, you know, we say platform. Um, and today we're kind of talking about the fact that we've got, you know, compute, storage, network, all integrated in a very specific way to make this just a turnkey experience for customers. But platform means more to us, right? We want to actually take a lot of these things, expose more APIs to the end customers. So I foresee a day where it's not just about what we build, but about us providing access to that data where they can integrate products that tap into that multi-cloud data set and just uh, being able to kind of unlock the functionality of many different sorts of innovation from different organizations, leveraging our compute network and storage just to kind of multi-cloudify that marketplace concept. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting, great vision. Okay, fantastic. And uh, um, probably it's time to wrap up this episode, but actually I'd like to have a, a few links and where we can uh, find a uh, faction on the internet. And uh, maybe if you have a Twitter account or you are, um, you are in any other social network, if you can share your, uh, your Twitter handle, maybe we can continue the conversation online. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, everybody go find me on Twitter. I'm old school at uh, Matt Wallace, uh, just like it's spelled uh, as my Twitter handle. And Faction Inc. is the company Twitter handle. And uh, be more than happy. We're always doing um, other things, you know, webinars and so on, uh, presentations at major conferences and stuff where we also love to have conversations with folks. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, Mike, again for uh, joining me today and talk to you soon. Bye bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices and Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Unstructured data management is the focus of a report Enrica wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.